Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Schurecht. Stacy Wedding. And we're here to answer all of your questions about nonprofit stuff. Uh, we're presented by the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, and uh, here we go. Our nonprofit was approached by a new family-owned restaurant that is opening soon, and they said they will give a portion of the opening night proceeds to us if we can get at least 100 of our contacts to come. They've asked for our logo so they can help promote this. Do you have experience with these types of arrangements, and is there anything we should know? Mm. So, you know, this reminds me of is back in the 80s, if you had a band and you wanted to play at a particular bar or club, you would go to the club and you'd think, you know, you'd think it would be on merit that they'd like listen to your demo tape and they'd want the best band. They'd right. pick the best bands who have the coolest music and they'd want them. But what they want is the bands that have the biggest fan base so that they can fill the club. Of course. So that they can buy as many drinks as possible. So what the club would do is they'd be like, yeah, totally. You guys can have the eight o'clock slot on Friday. You just have to sell 100 tickets <laughs> and you can pay us in advance for the tickets right. and then you can sell them for whatever you want or give them yeah. away free or whatever. So you're, it's, it's basically pay to play, yeah. um, which is terrible. And, you is. know, and no band, I mean, some bands, obviously some bands did that because they wanted to be, you know, you want to play on the Sunset Strip or whatever. But um, this, this sounds a lot oh, like that does. to me. It does. Oh, those good old ladies. Yeah. Yeah. The, so the, 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 the big caveat here is that, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I would agree with this one. I don't think if somebody asked me if you want to do that, I would say no. Um, and, and why would you say that? It's too vague. So they said they're going to give, I mean, maybe they, maybe they do have more information and they just put, didn't put it in the question. So they said they're going to give us a portion of the proceeds. So what's How that? How much? Yeah. yeah. What is that? 1%? What are you, yeah. you going to give us? What's a portion of the proceeds? Um, and then if I don't get to 100 people, if I can't get 100 people, am I getting nothing? So if I get 98, are you not going to give me anything? Right. Um, and then how do you track who, quote, our contacts are, right, as a nonprofit versus you as the restaurant? Is there some little postcard or little email that they, then you've got to try to not only message it to your constituents and stakeholders, but then make sure that they take in the little, you know, symbol, you know, symbol or emblem to say that they're connected to our organization? Right. Yeah. And the, and the you know, I guess the, the big question is, is why does this make sense for your donors? So if the donors are, if you're, if you're using your contact list and people that are interested in your organization and your mission, um, let's say it's 10%. So you're asking them to go eat dinner. If they've got kids, it's like 50 bucks yeah. and you're going to get $5. So why don't you just ask them for $5 instead? <laughs> and then they don't have to <laughs> go find easier. this new restaurant, yes. which could be terrible, you know, yes. and then feel like, like they were used. Um, so th there's a lot of things that are wrong with it. I, what the one way I do see this si a similar situation is sometimes organizations, and it's usually like PTO, parent-teacher organizations, and things like that, will have um, they'll go to a fast casual restaurant and they will say, "Bring this flyer in with you on whatever day, yeah. and if you eat your if you eat dinner and then hand this flyer to the waitress yep. or waiter afterwards." 
um, we will take 10% of whatever you paid and we will, they will take that, give that to that organization. So you're, there's no minimum, there's, you know how much percentage you're going to get. There's no minimum that you have to reach. Um, there, there's that tracking piece is kind of built in. It's still kind of a, you know, it, I can see the desire for nonprofits to do that because it seems like kind of a low impact fundraising method. Yes. But it's probably not going to be really efficient and, yeah, and successful. Low, I think nonprofits get excited about the idea of easy money because we all know how hard it is to raise money. And yet I think there's also such a thing as this concept of donor fatigue where donors or your constituents are only going to listen to you so much. So you've got to be really thoughtful and strategic about how many times do you reach out to them? What are you reaching out to them for? What are you asking them for? Um, you know, and when does that become too much? And there comes a point, I don't know if you're like this, sometimes I will get so many of these kinds of promotions from organizations, I just start to hit delete before I even open it, because I'm like, yeah, I'm not, doing you know, that. not doing it, right? Or <laughs> yeah. I have my favorite restaurant or whatever. So yeah. um, I also think logo use, you have to be super careful with this kind of stuff, because in some ways, you're starting to align your nonprofit brand with this company. And so to your point, what if the service sucks or what if the food is really bad and now your logo is tied to it? And while people realize it's not you, but you've still aligned yourself. So to some degree that, you know, detail gets lost in people and they just think about you affiliated with this other organization. And so I think there's a lot you even want kind of like logo guidelines. I'm a huge believer on these things of getting stuff in writing that says like, here's a third party agreement. Here's what, you know, this like kind of your roles are. Here's what our roles are. Here's what we both promise each other. Uh, I'm a believer. I know I probably over, I think I'm an attorney at heart, even though I'm not (laughs) one, but I I believe in that, right? Because it kind of makes it clear for everybody on what they're getting into. Yeah, it's a good idea. And I think, you know, for this particular thing. I don't know that I would recommend this one. It it sounds like there are too many problems with it, but there's so many other opportunities that people... And there are some good ones. Yeah. Um, And it's it's up to you, again, so, you know, putting on my corporate social responsibility hat for just a second. It's it's up to the the nonprofit to come back with a new negotiating position. So when somebody says, hey, we're opening a new restaurant, do you want to do this? Um, That but take that as their first offer. I mean, so if you've got a better idea and you're like, well, you know, this is how they do it at this place. Like, do you want, we can do it this way or, or why don't you just advertise yourself? And, you know, we're, we're happy to, you know, do a couple of social media posts on your behalf, but don't make us, you know, make the people show up and make them bring in a flyer. Just give us 10% of the proceeds right. or, or 2% or whatever it is. And then we'll thank you for it. Absolutely. So, so you can always take that as sort of like their first their first offer. And you don't have to take their first offer. You can always come back and say, so what are you really trying to achieve? Are you trying to fill the restaurant? Are you trying to be social? Yes, or what are you doing? Yes. What do you want to do this for? There's kind of opportunity for a larger discussion and maybe larger partnership in some way. And I think instead of closing the door, it's an opportunity to open the dialogue, as you're saying, and sort of look at how can that this be a win-win for both organizations. Um, you know, I've also encouraged some of the, the organizations I work with that get approached to do a lot of this, because it does tend to be the ones that are um, have bigger name brands. You don't tend to find companies always aligning with the little nonprofit that no one's heard of. They want the ones, back to your 80s analogy, right? They want the ones that have a big reach. Uh, but as a point to that, there's also some some regulations maybe to set up of what what makes this worth our while as a nonprofit? Do we need to get $1,000 from them of, you know, of, of the revenue or proceeds? And so I've actually had organizations that have said that to when they get into these agreements saying, we'll do A, B, and C 
can't make any guarantees, but at the end of the day, because we're putting it forward our effort, you guarantee us at least a thousand dollars or, you know, and if it's larger than that, great, but at least a minimum of that thousand. So then it's kind of a, um, you know, that the company's in it just as much as you're in it. And I don't know what you think companies would think about something like that, Andy, but I know a few nonprofits who've actually kind of gotten played a little hardball with it and said, no, we, we're not just your marketing hat. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Our nonprofit is a few years old, and our annual budget is just under $250,000. Is it necessary to get a formal audit on our financials every year, even given how small we are? Would it make us more appealing to funders? Uh, it, it might. Um, the, the rule of thumb generally is if you're, you're doing about $250,000 a year, um, you can get what's just called a review. So you can, you can hire uh, an accounting firm to come out and just review your financials. It's not a full audit, but they'll look at it and just say that, yep, that, those look like financials. And I'm guessing that's less money? It is a lot less money because they're not actually digging into the details. They're not like affirming that um, they've looked at it and everything looks okay. Um, instead, they're just looking at it and saying, you know, we've looked at it. Um, the the audit is a much bigger process. And usually if your organization is about a million a year or more, um, a million is a good time to think about probably doing an audit. Um, the, the thing that's going to catch you up though, is that funders start asking for audits and they don't care how big you are. So you could be a teeny tiny organization. If you're going for a grant, one of the things the grant might ask you for is a financial audit. So you may want to look at it sooner. Um, if you're going to start relying on those bigger funders or the funders that are going to look for an audit. Um, cause, cause a lot of times, I mean, you know how these grant applications work. They don't give you the opportunity to explain that you're not quite big enough for an audit. They just want a binary condition. They want, is it, a, is have yes. you included the audit? Checkbox, check right? <laughs> yeah, they want to checkbox it. You know, and that's up to, you know, for the rest of us, that's for us to work with the, the grantors and the funders to be able to say, you know, there's really shades of gray there that you need to be thinking about. I have seen exceptions with nonprofits who are, you know, smaller organizations and have had that, you know, the item on the grant application that asked for the audit. And they, because of they have a relationship with the funder or they were able to submit a question, can I submit such and such instead of an audit, you know, a financial review or our 990 or the, you know, our policies and procedures. And there's occasionally I've found funders are willing to work with it, but to your point, a lot of times it's hard to even have that communication with the funder and you just automatically are disqualified. Um, you know, philosophically, I also think there's something to be said and, you know, about, you know, sort of if you want to be taken seriously, sometimes you've just got to invest and bite the bullet. And I know that's tough. That's tough to swallow because audits are not inexpensive, but sometimes it's about making that investment for your future, which hopefully will lead to people taking you more seriously, funders taking you more seriously, and hopefully more more money if those audit results are good. Yeah, and there, there are benefits to it. In order, it's not just like um, back when you were in high school and you would have someone check your homework. You know, it's so it feels like that, but what it's actually doing is it's giving it's giving you a lot of information about the kinds of things that other nonprofits are doing, other organizations are doing, so that you can learn from them. So you'll strengthen your internal controls. Like there's no audit that anyone's right. ever gone through that the, that the auditor has not said that you could have stronger internal controls. And that actually protects you from being, having people steal from you. Um, and, and learning those things that makes you a stronger organization. So they're, they're good to have regardless. Um, and, and that's, you know, it kind of falls back to that sort of a nonprofit starvation cycle too, where you never want to, you want to spend what the bare minimum is to be able to get by. Yeah. And it seems like a luxury if you don't have to do it, why would you do it? 
but it really does um, it really does make you up your game. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And a side question to this, I think I've read somewhere uh, that if you get federal dollars that are something like $500,000 or more a year, if you're getting that much in funding, which obviously wouldn't be the case for this, but then you're required to get some special audit from a, the federal, you know, to satisfy sort of the federal uh, mandates. Is that the case? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, that's called the single audit. Um, you've Sometimes people call it the A122. Some people call it the A133. Some people call it the single audit. But basically, and they just upped it. It used to be $500,000. Now, thankfully, it's $750,000. Okay. Okay. So if you receive money that, that originates at a federal agency, regardless of how it gets to you, it has to, if it originates at a federal agency, it might go through the state, it might go through a local grantor. But if it's federal dollars, and you get 750 in aggregate. It doesn't have to come from just one source. If you get, mm. you know, 10 people giving you $75,000 and it adds up to 750000 you need to do the single audit. And it is not fun. Mm. And it is very expensive. Um, and and theoretically, it is not as bad that it, as it would be if you had to do an audit for each one of the federal agencies that you're getting money <laughs> oh, from, if you're getting it from now. multiple, right? <laughs> so, so technically it's probably less onerous than that, but, but it is really detailed. Um, you absolutely want to get somebody that's done that before. You don't want to, you know, just your regular old CPA audit might, mm -hmm. they might, if they haven't done a single audit before, you might want to find somebody that has, because there's a lot to it. And it's, it's just recently changed too. They changed a couple of the rules. Um, around things like overhead and some other stuff. So you want to know what all the tips and tricks are for that too. And they can help you with that. Mm, good advice. When you are interviewing a new board member, at what point do you explain the financial giving the person is expected to give? Uh, you're already too late. <laughs> <laughs> Because in this one, the question says that when you're interviewing a new board member, it means that you've brought them on or you're at least, um, yeah, they're a new board member, right? So they're new. Um, and then you're going to explain that there may be a financial giving component. That's something that you need to talk to them about that during the process of explaining what your organization is and the kinds of things it needs and the kinds of board members that you expect to have, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's, you know, there's, there's definitely a time for a board orientation. You want to have a, you know, a really robust orientation process where you explain all the programs and whatever, everything that you're doing and all the nuances that you don't necessarily get just as an external observer. Um, but the conversation about, you know, is it a give or get board needs to happen far before that person's actually on board. You need to talk to them about it before, while they're still considering it. Yeah, it's funny because I, I think that's just one of those, our worst nightmares, right, is get you get into something and then realize, oh, here's five more things you didn't hear about in the interview process because we really just wanted to get you on the board. And now you get to see the reality. That's not a great way to start a relationship with a board member. No. And, but that's kind of weird, though. And I'm, I think that's, I mean, in my experience with boards is that would never actually happen because the board member would ask early on, would say, hey, so... First of all, they're going to say no. They're going to go, <laughs> I'm already overcommitted. Right, I got a lot right. of other things to do. Um, and then the second thing they're asked is, well, you know, okay, if we're going to consider this, what's the time commitment like? And is there a financial commitment? Those are the first two questions I usually get. So I'm not quite sure what, you know, how this question even exists. So it's interesting that you say that because I, I'm of the same mindset as you. And yet I have found this to be true, especially with people who've never served on a board before. Oh, that don't even realize they have the right to ask those questions and that it's almost a privilege to be, if, if they look at it that way, it's a privilege to be sort of asked or courted through this process. And so I've had those people that have said, is it okay to ask, you know, if, if 
you know, what the time commitment is or what they're expecting of me. And I'm like, absolutely. So I think for people maybe who've never done it before, there's huge opportunity to sort of educate them along the way. So I could see where it could happen maybe innocently and no one meant any harm. But then it's like, yikes, okay, now there's a disconnect. Yeah. So I guess I guess what was the original question, though, is what um, at what point do you explain the financial giving after they've already become a board member? I guess it would happen during the orientation process, they would, if you yeah. have a board orientation. Yeah, if you even know it. I mean, I know several organizations that haven't even sort of solidified this themselves, so this never comes up. And then that becomes an issue when you're a nonprofit board member for a while and this give and get wasn't an expectation and now it becomes one. Then that's a whole other conversation that I think probably is more common in the nonprofit sector of, yeah. okay, we've grown to the size, we're going to implement the implement this yeah. give and get. Yeah, well, the, the boards that I've been on or been working with that get to that point where they have to start talking about um, a give or get once they're a bigger board, um, it's I'm always surprised that it's usually unanimous. The board, once you start talking about it, once you can sort of wrangle what number feels comfortable with everybody, everybody does want to do it. So yeah. it's, but you know, we should let people ask this question. So, so we've given you two questions to seed us with next time. So one of them is, how do you implement a give or get policy on a board? You should ask us that one. <laughs> the second one you should ask us is, um, what's a board orientation and what should that include? And if you could see us, we're, we're giving you a wink, wink here. So yes, there's some future questions. <laughs> Shoot those to us. We're happy to answer. Yeah, we've got a list of questions we really want people to ask us. So we're, yeah, we're, we're burning. We're, we're waiting burning for, for it. Yes. <laughs> Here's one that's absolutely for you, Stacy. It starts, hi, I'm planning our annual executive staff retreat and looking for a fun activity to do as a team building activity. Any suggestions? Well, each group is different and each group has a different personality. So I don't think there's a one size fits all. And so my response back would be that perhaps it's not up to one person to decide that, but maybe you can have a discussion with the group and sort of brainstorm together so people don't feel like they're being forced to do something they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I've seen that happen, right, where you have someone who's totally well-intentioned and maybe they want to do one of those, like, painting classes, you know, where these, you know, wine and paint classes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and there's half of the, the staff or half of the team that's super excited and the other half that is just rolling their eyes the whole time. So I think some of it is about, it's a great opportunity to even build your team figuring out what you're going to do together and how you as a group make decisions. Um, I mean, if people are looking just for a lot of ideas to maybe throw out there to your team, again, talking to the team, I mean, the paint and wine thing is one, you know, these escape rooms that are kind of coming up now where you Mm -hmm. have to come up as a group and figure out how you escape this room and given these little clues and, you know, tips you get, you figure out how to escape the room. So it's it's sort of like brain power together. Um, There is, I had one client that did this. There's, I guess, a ranch in Sandy Valley. And there's all sorts of things about, like, you know, lassoing a horse and all sorts of crazy stuff that, like, but they're built into sort of a team-building experience. Uh, So it's, you know, but that also depends on, you know, what do people are, are people athletic and want to kind of get out there and get dirty? So I think, again, it goes back to personality. Um, I really like it when a a group does something where if they can create something together, uh, you know, like if you do one of the things I've seen a group do that I thought was just brilliant was all the executive staff actually decided they were going to make like a pancake breakfast and serve it 
to the rest of the staff. And this, you know, and it was a larger organization, but I thought that was a really cool idea of sort of flipping roles on their head uh-huh. and sort of they were the servers for the day and were sort of at your service. And so I think there's some fun ways that probably people can come up with way more creative things than I can, but that just as a team, you brainstorm it and you figure it out and, and maybe even mix it up a little bit. Maybe this month it's this activity and next month it's that or you know next year from now we consider something else so i think you can kind of give some credit to a lot of people's ideas yeah i i I admit i'm always the crotchety one like whenever there's you know recommend some sort of team building activity that might you know i i think it's just having done so many of them and having so many of them not be very good i just they i'm the one that always cringes but i have done I have done some that I do enjoy, but I think it, you're right. It really comes back to what the purpose of it is. So is it to determine what people pro, what people's problem-solving skills are, you know, yeah. or to figure out what, who's good at what? Is that it? Or is it really just to get people out of a work setting um, to be able to have actual human conversations and not con- conversations about, like, for example, why didn't you fill out your timesheet on time? Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, like stupid business conversations that people have. You raise a good point, though, right? What is the intent of it? Because sometimes people are doing this just to do it, and I think people can feel that, and then it doesn't feel purposeful. But if it's, you know, group, we've had some communication challenges these last few months, and we're not communicating with each other, so we're going to sort of do a team-building thing that's around communication. Um, you know, this is sort of a, a totally different um you know, for the nonprofits listening, this is just sort of a cool thing to share that a funder did way many years ago. But um, John Ritter and Focus Property Group back in the heyday when land development was strong, actually divided, they had a company of about 120 people and they divided it, the company into, they had grown to a size where not everybody was knowing each other. So they divided the company into four teams. Each team got to name itself and each team was sort of um, had to come up with their own charity they were going to go support and figure out how they were going to go support them. And they were given so much time to do this, and they were given a small budget to use, but they really had to get resourceful. And then they would come back and present what they did to sort of this panel of judges. It was sort of a a kind of a mix of a bunch of reality TV shows, you know, take, um, you know, I won't even mention them all, but all the ones we know of that have kind of risen and fallen at the time, though. And so it was like you'd have the the executives of the company sitting there listening to what the teams did and it ended up and then would say, great, you're the winning team, you know, ABC gets, you know, you're going to get 20 grand for your nonprofit, which I thought was super cool because it's like they got people from this company who didn't even know each other talking to each other. So now they had new resources within the company and they were doing sort of corporate social responsibility for good in the community. And I know you're into CSR and I was like, what a brilliant idea. So I think it's, it's about really being clear on strategy. Okay, here's another one for you, Stacy. We just had a board retreat, and this one board member is really unhelpful. He talks without listening, he makes really dumb suggestions, and by the end of the retreat, people were just ignoring him. He probably means well, but I'm not quite sure how to handle him. Do we encourage him to resign, or are we stuck with him for three years? <laughs> 
Oh, we've all been there, haven't we? And, you know, the sad part about these kinds of board members is that it's just painful for everybody in the room. And uh, long term, that can have a demoralizing effect and even impact attendance. Uh, but I don't think on something like this, the, the board member is not doing anything super blatant. I Generally, bylaws don't say you remove a board member because they're not listening. <laughs> or uh, So I don't think this is as easy as encouraging the board member to resign. I think a really good facilitator can help kind of put things back on track. So yeah. I know when I facilitate, uh, oftentimes I will set some ground rules at the beginning that maybe knowing what the group's weaknesses are, uh, or in, in this case, something about, you know, uh, listen, act, be an active listener and sort of share a little bit about what that means. So sort of that sets the expectation at the beginning, which sometimes makes people just more aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think as a facilitator, and, and if you don't have a facilitator, if there's someone on the board who can be that person, sometimes it's the board chair who can kind of redirect or when that odd suggestion or that kind of dumb question comes up, really kind of redirecting that to, you know, Joe Schmo, I, I think I hear you saying this. And how does that tie to what we just talked about? And not trying to embarrass the person, but sometimes trying to make a connection that maybe others don't see. Right. Or even just kind of trying to... Um, you know, take that as a nugget to then turn it into a positive. So I think with the right kind of redirection and helping guide conversation, you can help mitigate that a little bit. Yeah. What do you, yeah. Yeah, I kind of want to dig into it a little bit deeper because the, first of all, was there a facilitator? If there was a facilitator, they weren't doing their job because one of the jobs of the facilitator is to keep everything moving and keep everyone, um, everyone sort of on track and using the guidelines properly. Yeah. Um, The, the thing that I'm wondering about is because he's asking really dumb questions, was he not prepared properly? Mm. So, uh, you know, if you're going into a strategic planning retreat or whatever, it doesn't say what the retreat was about, but whatever the retreat's about, if, if nobody knows the purpose of the retreat or why they're there or they haven't done enough research on the issues, yeah, of course their questions are going to sound dumb because they, they weren't prepared and it's up to them to prepare it. Absolutely. The, the other thing that I was thinking is um, if, if it is, there's that weird staff board dynamic that you see every once in a while is that um, staff members have a tendency not to be able to control board members. Sometimes they feel like they're subservient to yes. them, that the board, yes. the board's the board. The and they're, the master. Yeah, yes. they're a master and they're, everything they say is right. And you have to listen to them and be deferential, but it really is staff's responsibility because they're the ones that are in it every day to make sure that they're surfacing everything that they need to service and, and, and cutting people off if they need to cut them off and acknowledging like, that's a really interesting thing that you're talking about there. I'm not quite sure how it is relevant to the discussion that we're having. Can you, can you help me understand that? And that's something that a facilitator could do. And I think if a staff member felt like that, you know, well, I don't want to irritate, you know, this guy's rich. I don't want to irritate this guy. (laughs) You know, they might not, they might not want to jump in and, and be honest with them. Yeah, absolutely. And yet it helps. I, I think it's important when we think about board culture, stuff, stuff like that can be toxic to board culture. And if it's not, if there's not sort of, if it's not addressed, it can be problematic. So um, definitely kind of coming up with a game plan. And I really like what you said. I mean, preparation. If somebody didn't receive the materials or, if, for example, you know, you've got introverts and extroverts. And I, I can speak from being an introvert. I always want 
to have time to think through something. Um, you know, even when we're doing this podcast, I want to see questions in advance. <laughs> you don't want right? to be surprised. I don't want to be surprised. We don't I'm want to not, do a call-in show. Great. Yeah, I'm not great, like, in the in the moment, off, you know, kind of off the top of my head. And so someone, that could be this situation as well. So it's it's a little bit like I, I kind of want to, don't want to shoot that board member down because maybe there's some other things that could be done to kind of channel that that energy into something a little better yeah hey at least they're showing up right yeah and they're engaging with questions hey yeah better than a lot (laughs) exactly exactly That's a wrap for today, everybody. Thanks for sticking through this with us. We appreciate you listening and would love for you to recommend this to others. We are eager to hear your questions. So visit nonprofiteverything.com, submit your question. You can even make it anonymous. If you don't want to attribute your name, we would just love to hear from you. <laughs> please and- do that. Please, just, please send us <laughs> please, anonymous questions please. so they're like calling out your bosses yes. and your nonprofits. You would make our lives so much fun. So <laughs> anyways, and special thanks to Anne, Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, for being our presenter and organizing this entire podcast. Until next time. Mm-hmm.